but we come tonight to talk about something that I think is uh, relevant for the 90s, and that's uh, the development of, of friends. Being friends and having friends and developing friendships. There's a good book by Jerry White who is with Navigator. Some of you may be familiar with uh, his writings or know him personally. It's called Friend and Friendship, The Secret of Drawing Near. And in this book, he um, introduces it with this statement. I want to read this if you'll listen carefully. Loneliness, pain, crying, all are vestiges of broken friendships. Yet no one can have a meaningful existence without love and friendship. They are the substance of our emotional life. We seek them constantly, but they often elude our grasp or else disappoint us. Sometimes we offer them to, our, to others only to have them rejected. We desperately need and want deep relationships, but all too often we find it difficult to develop that ideal friendship. We all experience, experience brief taste of deepening friendship and no more is possible, yet the process of actually developing and deepening those friendships is frustrated by lack of time or mutual interest. When they do develop, we puzzle over how to maintain them and how to overcome the discard which inevitably occurs in regular interaction. One of the greatest pleasures of our lives has been our number of deep friendships with, which continue to this day. These friends have encouraged and, com and confronted us. They have been the ones we called in times of need and in time of joy. But not everyone enjoys friendships like these. And most of us have gone through troubling times when friends seem scarce. Many people are lonely Many are insulated from in-depth interaction of any kind, either by choice or by exclusion. We wish we could say that Christians don't experience this frustration in friendship, but we can't. People are lonely in the church as well as in the world. I want to discuss tonight the friendship that developed between Paul and Timothy. Timothy was probably Paul's best friend. And I want to look at development, the development of this friendship in light of four um, perspectives. I think there are four aspects to friendship. There is the selecting of friends, the cultivating of, those, of that friendship, the trusting that must go on between friends and the reinforcing of those friendships, the reinforcement that has to occur. Now I know some of you here tonight who are old as I am, and I'm older than Muhammad Ali. <laughs> some of you uh, may be saying, well, it's a little bit late for me. Well, I don't think so. As a matter of fact, the older you get, the more you need friends. Believe me, some of you need some friends. And uh, I, 
I won't call names, but you know, we're none, of, none of us are exempt. That was a joke. You got it in you, Mark. Now, before we get into this, this friendship that developed between Paul and Timothy, I want to give you two or three thoughts that are general, and I need you to jot these down. The first is that times, this, times of solitude and being alone are healthy and important. But isolation is neither. Now there is a difference between this space that we all need for solitude and for being alone with our, with our thoughts, just being alone in solitude. There's a difference between that and protracted periods of isolation. Now the, the practice of solitude and being alone is both healthy and important. But to isolate yourself is not healthy and is not good. All right, second. It is not a sign of spiritual maturity to have no close friends. Now, you say, well, now that, you don't have to tell us that, but you know, it's amazing how many people say to me that I have such a relationship with the Lord, I don't need anybody else. You know, it's kind of a, pious, you know, self-righteous kind of a thing, but, you know, I've had pe people say, well, I am so, I have, I have so, such a wonderful relationship with the Lord, He's the only friend I need. And I want you to know that the development of friendships is a spiritual experience, indeed. All right, third, the circle of intimate friends is always very small. Now we live in a mobile, mobile society and when we move around, move, move about or take new jobs, I think that circle widens a little bit, it enlarges. But to have close intimate friends is to have a small circle of friends. And that small circle of intimate friends never really extends beyond developed a relationship with God that is deep and meaningful, and yet it is obvious to, that this man needed some close friends around him. And those friends in this intimate circle of friendships is very, very valuable and important to this man's spiritual development, as a matter of fact. So we're going to look at these three, um, four, four aspects of friendship. First, the selecting of friends. I won't try to be as practical as I can with these sermons, so I'll do, do my best. I want you to turn to the 16th chapter of Acts. 16th chapter of Acts. And I'll read verses 1 through 3 or 4, whatever it goes there. Now this is a reference to the Apostle Paul. It says, He came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. It's the first time Timothy's name appears in Scripture. It, behold, Timothy was there, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So that he has, his mother was, a, was devoutly religious in the Jewish religion. His father was an unbeliever, perhaps a pagan. 
And he was well spoken of, that is, Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him. Now, you have in the Greek construction what is called the emphatic position. And, and when you see the, 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 a phrase or a word at the front of the sentence, that's the emphatic position. Now, this verse, verse 3, begins like this, literally in the Greek manuscript. This man, Paul, wanted to go with him. So that this man, Timothy, is used in the third verse in the emphatic position, and it means that this particular man, this man of all men, Paul wanted as his friend. Now something happened there in this, this encounter with Timothy and the Apostle Paul. There is a marvelous chemistry that went on there. So that when Paul saw this guy for the very first time, he knew that this was a man that he wanted as a friend. You know, and he wanted as a, as, a, as a companion on his missionary journey. Now what happened there that just attracted Paul to Timothy and Timothy to Paul. We don't know what was going on there, nor can we explain the chemistry that just develops when you're sensitive to other people, that just happens. But we know two things about Timothy that was attractive to Paul. One was the, the unity of their minds. They had the same ideas and the same goals. And the second thing we know is that this Timothy had a good reputation. And it says that he was well spoken of by the brethren Iconium. Obviously he was a person that everybody could like. Now isn't it true that that there are just some people that when you meet them, you just instantly like them. And there are some people that just have the ability to, 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 to capture the, uh, the respect and the admiration of others. And there is that special kind of chemistry going on here. So that he saw in Timothy the kind of person he needed and wanted as a friend, and Timothy saw the same thing in Paul. And it wasn't planned, and it wasn't um, uh, forced, it was not superficial, it was something that just happened. Now I want to give you two or three things that's not really in the outline that you need to jot down with regard to you know, the selection of friends, you know, that some, I think that are important. Number one is, that oftentimes you have to take the first step in developing friendships. You have to take the first step. You have to take the initiative. Um, you have to create opportunities to develop friendships. Now occasionally I have people say to me, you know, I came to church and I was there at church and not a single person spoke to me. You, you know, the, let, let me say parenthetically, and this is not a promotion for television, I've never heard that said about you in this church, but I have heard it said. You know, I came to church and not a single person spoke to me. I was talking to a guy a lot long ago who, who, has left, who, who left this church and, and has moved away, and, and he cannot get over the fact that how friendly this church has been, was, was, was to him and how unfriendly he finds other churches to be. But the fact is that oftentimes we have to take the initiative, and I don't know of a single person who has reached out in friendship and ever said of a church that church is unfriendly. 
I think there's a second thing is that in the selecting of friends, you need to be yourself. That is, be totally honest, be yourself. And third, to form reasonable expectations. Now, what do you expect in, in friends? What do you expect of a friend? There are some times when our expectations of friends is totally unreasonable. So we farm reasonable expectations. All right, how was this friendship cultivated? I want you to turn to the 17th chapter of the book of Acts. We're just turning over. We're going to be going through this. And we'll look at verse 14. 17th chapter of Acts, verse 14. Now between chapter 16 and chapter 17, verse 14, all sorts of things have happened. They've gone down to Troas and the door is closed to them there, as I mentioned in the sermon this morning. They get this Macedonian vision and the Macedonian says, come over and help us. You know that story. They went over to Philippi and established a church. They went down to Berea and were ministering there and then the heat was turned up in Thessalonica and that's where we are in chapter 17, verse 14. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, the Mediterranean, and Silas and Timothy remained there. Now those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So Paul leaves Silas and Timothy to, to take care of some details. And Paul, by way of Athens, winds up in Corinth. Now we're to chapter 18 and verse 5. And in Corinth, the apostle Paul is earning a living as a tent maker. Now he's an itinerant evangelist. But he's over in Corinth and he's making his living with his tent making job. And verse 5 of chapter 18, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now when, when Timothy and Silas got down to Corinth, Paul quit his job as a tent maker and devoted all of his time to the ministering of the gospel. It is obvious, probably obvious, that Silas and Timothy brought him a, an offering, gave him some money so he didn't have to work anymore. And their presence there provided Paul an opportunity to give full time to the ministry. Now I want you to look at chapter 19, verse 22. Now we don't have time to read the whole narrative, so I'm picking and choosing. So we're to chapter 19, verse 22. And having sent into Macedonia two of those, underline, two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. And now we've made this progress in the development of friendships to the place where Timothy now is ministering to Paul. Now I want you to get this. Friendship is not a one-way street. And there is this interchange of, of giving and receiving that has to go on. And one of the most difficult things for some of us in friendships is not to give to that friendship, but to receive from it. Now the question I have to ask myself is in developing a friendship is this. Do my friends have the freedom to minister to me? 
That means, am I willing to expose myself to other people's, my needs to others? Am I willing to be vulnerable? Am I willing to ask advice? Am I willing to be teachable? For all of those things are necessary in the cultivation of friendships so that I'm totally honest and vulnerable. I'm willing to, 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 to let you minister to me and vice versa. That's the key. Now there are some things to remember about cultivating friendships. If you're following in the outline, four things. Number one is that it takes time. It takes time. I was trying to think back over my life and uh, the friends that I have, and, I, and I'm thinking tonight of two men who are very special to me out in West Texas. And uh, I suppose that, you know, when I left there after having been their pastor for five years, that, I, that, that, that um, I'm not as, I wasn't as close to them then as I am now. The period of time that has come, the 15 years or 16 years since I was with them as their pastor, and all of this has been the, the process of developing friends. It cannot, you know, it takes time. Secondly, it takes desire. Do you really want to make the sacrifices that are necessary to develop intimate friendships? Now, it's a lot easier to go home at night and turn on a TV and shut the door and forget, you know, if you're as old as I am, you know. Friday night comes, I'm going to go to bed about 7. I mean, that's been a long, long week. Takes it, do, I, do I have the desire? Third, you must be willing to allow that person to help you in the area of your need. The best friend you'll ever have is the person who helps you in your need. And here's the big one. You must begin to think in terms of teamwork. I heard about this guy who was an organ player back way back when the organ they had those pump organs. You remember those, don't you, Mark? Those pump organs that you had to, and and they had these bellows, you know, that you pumped. And this guy was this beautiful, magnificent organist, and he carried this guy around with him, who's who who sat in the back of this huge organ and pumped these bellows while this guy played. And one night they finished this magnificent concert and the guy in the, in the back who was pumping the bellows, he, he, got, he, he, he came up to the guy, the organist, and said, man, didn't we do a great job tonight? And the guy said, what do you mean we? He said, man, it was, I, was the or, I was the guy playing the organ. He thought, okay. Well, the next concert, when the organist came down on the keys, the guy didn't pump the bellows. And so he tried again, no bellows, no pump, no air. Finally he whispered, pump, pump. And the guy in the back said, say we, say we. Okay. So when, you, when you're developing friendships, it's, there's got to be the, the concept of teamwork. All right, third aspect. It's the aspect of trust. When I was trying to look through this, I, I, uh, I was thinking, of what is the most important aspect of friendship? Here it is, I think. Is that I have somebody with whom I can share the deepest part of my life and trust that person. Trust. 
Now there are three separate occasions where this trust that Timothy and Paul had with one another are manifested. Beautiful demonstration. I want you to look at the first. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now begin reading at verse 14. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. Now just hold your finger there because we're going to keep moving to the right here. Paul's writing to the Corinthians and he's, um, he's given them pretty good working over theologically, but he, he, he just comes to talk to them in a, on a personal basis and this is what he says. He says, I do not write these things to, share, to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children for if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. I exhort you therefore, be imitators of me. I just want you to imitate me. Now look at this next amazing statement. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now what he's saying is this, I want you to imitate me, and since I'm not there for you to imitate, I want you to imitate somebody exactly like me. So I'm sending Timothy. In other words, he's saying, here is a man I can trust with everything I believe and everything that I value, I can trust my reputation on this man. Amazing and wonderful thing. All right, the second is found in Philippians. Just keep turning to the right. Just hang on. We'll be, we'll be through. And volleyball is a game is going to start in a little bit. And I've been recruited by both sides. Everybody wants me, Spike, Pitbull, but... We're going to have a, we'll have a ball game, so hang in here again. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He said, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your, your condition. Watch this. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Now that statement there, that word, in the Greek, translated kindred spirits, only place that's found. It's the only time it's ever used. And it's an unusual word, and, and it's something without which there can be no real, genuine friend, friendship. It's a word that means of equal soul, of equal soul. And what he's saying is that Timothy and I or have an, have, are of equal soul, that is, our hearts beat as one. Our hearts beat as one. Now, were they the same with regard to personality? Not on your life. There is nobody like the Apostle Paul in history. There is nobody is like him in personality. And yet these two guys had a heartbeat that was the same. Now, listen to me carefully, kids. When you select friends, you need to find or select a friend who
who looks at life the same way you do, who has the same value system, who has the same desire, same ambitions, the same objectives, your personalities will not be the same, but it is, it is very, very important and essential that you look at things the same way. That's why it's very unwise to date somebody outside the Lord. It's very unwise to date somebody outside the Lord. It's very unwise to have friends outside the Lord. And if you have friends outside the Lord, you need to lead them to the Lord right away so that you and that friend can have the same way of looking at life. All right, third is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And I'm reading verses 1 and 2. Therefore... When we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother. Now there is a tendency within friendships for somebody to try to dominate. I just cannot handle that when you got somebody as a friend who wants to dominate. We are on equal terms, that's the idea, so that... Paul had no ten tendency to pull rank on Timothy. He saw him as an equal. Now, why are you with me? He saw him as an equal, and they're brothers. That's why I love my staff that I have now, because I honestly and truly feel that we're all, you know, I see them as equals, and we're like brothers. I know they think I'm, you know, they look at me like their granddad, but I look at them like, all right. Now, the reinforce guy got up, was Chew Mark got up and said, I, every time I introduce Brother Gerald, he, he just reminds me of my grandfather. All right, okay. Reinforcing of friendships. Now, if you just turn over to 1 Timothy, it is, it is necessary from time to time, are you hearing me now? It is necessary from time to time to reinforce friends, friendships. Now the interesting thing about 1 Timothy is that it's a business-like letter. It's very um, business-like, very, um, um, well, business-like. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of, our God, our, of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace and mercy, has this formal introduction. Formal is a word I was trying to, very formal, business-like. He said, I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia. And in 1 Timothy, he, he gives him instructions about how he wants him to perform as a pastor in Ephesus. Very formal, very business-like, very detailed. It's called a pastoral epistle. As a matter of fact, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles, and they're really instructions to Timothy and Titus about how they're to act as a preacher and the instruction as to how to guide their church. But, are you hearing me? When you get to 2 Timothy, which is the last epistle that Paul wrote, 
shortly before his death. This business-like formal letter becomes very warm and very personal. And this is how it starts. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, of Tim- to Timothy, my beloved son, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus the Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my fathers, forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, I think of you day and night. Look at verse 4. I long to see you as I recall your tears. Now, we're, we're in a time when, I, I, you know, I lament this. When it's, when it's uh, a little bit suspect for a man to tell another man he loves him. And we've come to this time in, in our society, in our culture, when we're very sensitive about you know, um, touching or, you know, someone of the same sex and, and expressing love to someone of the same sex. It's no sign of femininity. And it's not unhealthy to tell another friend you love him or you love her. And here's this guy about to die and he's longing to see his friend and he's writing him this letter, this warm, loving letter. How's your correspondence? Now, it won't hurt you to sit down tonight when you go home and write a loving letter to your friend and tell that friend you, you know, how, how you miss them. And that's the reinforcing of friendships. I do it often, believe it or not. Of course, I'm a great guy, but I mean, chapter 4, verse 9. Now, he, he's, this is near the end, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, make every effort to come to me. He, he says, Timothy, I long to see you. When you get to chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Timothy, I've got to see you. I can't live without you. Here's what he says. Come to me soon. If you've got a King James, it's come before winter. Because when winter time comes, the navigation in the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, all comes to an end. And, and, and you know, how do you spend lonely, cold, dark days in the wintertime without a friend? Timothy? Hurry up and get on, the ro- get on the way before it gets impossible for you to get here. Let me say quickly, I know the time is gone. The opportunity for friendships and what you need to do in friendships is a fleeting opportunity. Better do it for winter. Better do it while it counts. Better do it while it matters. Now, how do I wind this up? Well, I want to wind this up like this. Everybody needs a friend, even preachers. My daughter is a member of a church in Stanford, Texas that's gone through some great, great trouble. One of my preacher friends, they literally ran away from that church, ran him off. The pastor who succeeded them um, 
under the pressure of that unfriendly and, and uh, cruel congregation. Went down one night where they were remodeling the auditorium. Went down in the middle of the night and hung himself to death in the baptistry. And people were just aghast at that. And they were saying, how could a man do that? My question is, did that man have a friend? Did he have anybody he could talk to and with whom he could share his deep need? There are hermit souls that live withdrawn in the peace of their self-content. There are souls like stars that dwell apart in a fellowless firmament. There are pioneer souls that blaze their path where highways never ran. But let me live in a house by the side of the road and be a friend of man. In 1967, Gail Sayers was at the top of his um, career. The great running back, star of the Chicago Bears. And they moved in to be his roommate a man by the name of Brian Piccolo. Now Gail Sayers was a black and Brian Piccolo came from the southeast. I think he played for one of the southeast conference schools or on the east coast, southeast coast. And blacks and whites did not uh, have the kind of um, rapport that, that they do now, we do now. But Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers became fast friends. In 1969, you know the story, Brian Piccolo was struck down with cancer. That same year, Gail Sayers was to be honored with the Professional Football Writers Honor for Courage, George Hallis Award. And they were going to go to Chicago and sit together and receive that award. But Brian Piccolo was dying of cancer. And so Gail Sayers went to receive the George Hallis Award for Courage. And he got up and his voice was choked with emotion when he said, you flatter me for, by giving me this award. But I tell you, I'm accepting it for my friend, Brian Piccolo. And then through tears he said, I love Brian Piccolo. I want you to love him. Please ask God to love my friend. And I never thought I'd feel this way. As far as I'm concerned, I'm glad I've got the chance to say that I do believe I love you. And if I should ever go away, well then close your eyes and try to feel the way we do today. And then if you can, remember Keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always, always count on me for sure. That's what friends are for. For the good times and the bad times, I'll be your side forever. That's what friends are for. When you came and opened me, now there's so much more that I can see. And so, by the way, I want to thank you, oh and then for the times that we're apart, well then close your eyes and know the words are coming from my heart. And then if you can, remember, keep smiling, keep shining, 
knowing you can always count on me for sure, for that's what friends are for. In good times, in bad times, I'll be on your side forever. That's what friends are for. Can anybody say that about you? Our Father, we thank you for the night that Jesus stood to his disciples and said, Heretofore you have called me, I have called you servants. Tonight I call you friend. Help us to hear the command of our Lord to be the friend of the friendless. And give us a heart, a desire to be a friend of man. For I pray in Jesus' name for his sake.